Well, hello, hello, hello. Today is December 18th, 2020, and welcome to the Thoughts and Rambles podcast. Whew, what do we have in store today? Today, we're going to be talking about the Atlanta child murders. Now, this situation really takes me back because I was between the ages, I guess, 8 and 10 when this all went down. So I remember it very clearly. Um, And I was thinking to myself, is this going to come to my area? I was scared as a child. I never forget. I was watching the news with my grandmother and um, it came on the news about it. And I was just really frightened about what was going on. So, this is sometimes also called the Atlanta murders because not all the victims were children. Um, there was it was a series of murders committed in Atlanta, Georgia, between July of 1979 and May of 1981. And over this two-year period, at least 28 children, adolescents, and adults were murdered. They were killed. So this is definitely one of the worst serial killer series this country has ever seen, especially when it comes to black people, African Americans. And um, so before I get into uh, who was convicted of these murders, I want to speak on what happened during this time. Um, so it started off in 1979 in Atlanta, a number of young black children, mostly male, they started to go missing. And in some cases, their bodies were discovered weeks or months later. And it really left the families and the community devastated about what was going on, who, who could have done this. So, for three years that the disappearances and killings, this is engulfed in Atlanta. It engulfed the country wanting to know what was going on. And it had a very profound effect on life there and probably in the hearts and minds of a lot of parents of uh, black children and black boys. So, let's just go through the timeline. Um, in 1979, and sometime in the middle of 1979, like I said, July, Edward Hope Smith, he was known as Teddy, and Alfred Evans, and he was known as Q. They Both of them were 14, and they disappeared four days apart. Their bodies were found on July 28th in a wooded area. Smith had a 22 caliber gunshot wound in his upper back. And they were actually believed to be the first victims of this Atlanta child killer. Then on September 4th, the next victim was a 14-year-old Milton Harvey. And he disappeared while on an errand to the bank for his mother. And um, at the time, he was riding a yellow 10-speed bike. And that was found a week later in a remote area of Atlanta. And his body was not recovered until November, so two months later of that year. Then on October 21st, a nine-year-old by the name of Yusuf Bell, he went to the store uh, to buy something for his neighbor, uh, Mrs. Birdsong. And he was uh, going to the Reese Grocery Store. 
and a witness happened to say that she saw Yusef near the intersection of McDonald, McDaniel, I'm sorry, and Fulton getting into a blue car before he disappeared. Now, his body was found on November 8th in an abandoned elementary school by a janitor who was uh, looking for a place to pee-pee, to urinate. And so, uh, Yusuf's body was found clothed, but uh, it, uh, in the brown cutoff shorts that he was last seen wearing. And uh, they had a piece of masking tape that was stuck to them. So, he had, it seemed that he had been hit over the head twice, and the cause of death was strangulation. Um, and in the beginning, the police didn't think that his disappearance and his killing was linked in any way to the previous killings of Edward Smith or Alfred Evans or Milton Harvey. So, um, it was a quiet time because on not March 4th, 1980, so almost six months, so five to six months went by and now we have our first female victim. And it was a 12-year-old girl by the name of Angel Lanier. She disappeared. She had left her house around 4 p.m. She was wearing a denim outfit and was last seen at a friend's house watching the television program Sanford and Son. Now, her body was found six days later in a wooded vacant lot um, along uh, Campbellton Road wearing the same clothes that she had left home in. Also, a pair of white panties that did not belong to her were stuffed in her mouth. And her hands were bound with an electrical cord. And her cause of death was also strangulation. So, now let's move on to just a few days later. On March uh, 11th, one week after Angel's disappearance, an 11-year-old by the name of Jeffrey Mathis... He disappeared while on an errand for his mother. And he was wearing gray jogging pants, brown shoes, and a white and green shirt. Months later, a girl said she had saw him get into a blue car with a light-skinned man and a dark-skinned man. Now, his body was found in um, a patch of woodlands. And that was 11 months after he disappeared. By the time, it was not even possible to identify his cause of death. Now, I remind you, he was only 11 years old. Then, on May 18th, uh, another 14-year-old by the name of Eric Middlebrooks, he disappeared. And that was about two months after Jeffrey Mathis. Now, he was last seen answering um, the telephone at home. Then, he left in a hurry on his bike, uh, taking only his a hammer to repair the bike and his body was found the following day the next day to his bicycle in the rear garage of an Atlanta bar now the bar was located next door to what was then the Georgia Department of Offender Rehab and his pockets were turned inside out and his chest and arms had slight stab wounds and the cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the head so he too was also hit over the head um, a few weeks before he disappeared Middlebrooks had testified against three juveniles in a robbery case so we don't really know if that's connected or not but um, it doesn't seem to be that it is connected
Then on June 9th, 12-year-old Christopher Richardson, he went missing on his way to a local pool. So he was last seen walking towards the rec center. And he was also wearing blue shorts, a light blue shirt, and blue tennis shoes. And But his body was not found until the following January, so six months later. And he was clothed in unfamiliar swim trunks along with the body of a later victim who we haven't even mentioned yet, Earl Terrell. Now, the cause of Christopher Richardson's death was not determined. Uh, too much time seemed to have gone by. But on June 22nd, seven-year-old Latanya Wilson, she disappeared from her parents' apartment. This is the second female. And uh, according to a witness, she appeared to have been abducted by two men, one of whom was seen climbing into the apartment window and then holding Wilson in his arms as he spoke to the other man in the parking lot. Now, uh, her body was found on October 18th in a fenced-in area uh, near uh, Verbana Street in Atlanta. But by then, the body was skeletonized, meaning it decomposed so bad that no cause of death could be established. Remember, she was only seven years old. This is in 1980. She was only seven years old. Um, before I go on, I just want to say that this is resonating with me because... I was this age during this time, and I was a little black girl, um, not in Atlanta, but um, yeah, this is this is painful. So it's a little somber, but this is painful. But anyway, so the next day on June twenty third, ten year old Alan uh, Aaron White, he disappeared after um, having been seen in a, at a near local grocery store getting into a blue Chevrolet with one or two black men. A, a female waitress, she said that she saw Aaron being led from the grocery store by a six-foot-tall, 180-pound black male, approximately 30 years old with a mustache and goatee. And the witness's description of the car matched the description, of course, and the similar car implicated in the earlier in the Jeffrey Mathis disappearance. And around 6 p.m., Aaron was last seen at a shopping center. And the following day, his body was found under a bridge. The official cause of death was asphyxiation from a broken neck suffered in a fall. But in July of 1980, two more children, Anthony Carter and Earl Terrell, they were murdered. Clifford Jones, age 13, was found dead from strangulation. His body was found on August 21st behind a dumpster. Darren Glass, age 10, was reported missing on September 14th. His body had not been recovered. He was only reported missing. He was 10. His body has not been recovered. We don't know what happened with Darren. Charles Stevens, he was 12, and he was reported missing on October 9th. His body was found the next day. Police determined that he had been suffocated. Aaron Jackson, who was age 9, he went missing on November 1st. His body was discovered the next day, strangled, lying face up in a riverbank. Then there was Patrick Roberts. He died. Um, he was age 16. Um, age 16. Age 16. And he knew several of the 
previous victims, which is even sadder, right? But he went missing on November 30th, and his body was found on December 7th, uh, also in a river, and police speculate that he was dropped from the bridge above. So now we're going into 1981. So we started off in March. We started off in the middle of 1979, somewhere around July. A whole year has gone by, all of 1980. We've had all these boys, young boys and girls, go missing. And now in 1981, uh, they continued. And the first victim in the new year was Luby Gator who disappeared on January 3rd, and Gator's body was found on February 5th. Then Gator's friend, Terry Pugh, went missing in January, and like um, Luby, an anonymous caller told the police where to find Pugh's body, and Terry lived in the same apartment as one of the first victims, as Eddie Teddy Smith, who was killed in 1979. Mm, Coming full circle with this, right? But in February and March of 1981, six more bodies were discovered, believed to be linked to the previous homicides. Among the dead was the body of Eddie Duncan, and he was the first adult victim, unfortunately. But in April, a 20-year-old Larry Rogers and a 28-year-old John Porter and a 21-year-old Jimmy Ray Payne, they were all murdered. Now, Porter and Payne were ex-convicts and had just recently been released from uh, state prison, having served time for burglary. But on May 12, 1981, the FBI agents, they found the body of 17-year-old William Billy Starr buried on a curb in a wooded area near his home. But a witness said that a 32-year-old Harold Wood uh, was a custodian at Southwest High School, had run out of gas about a mile from the scene, and Wood described a black man standing over and observing the location where the body was found before driving away in a white over blue Cadillac. Now, during the end, near the end of May of 1981, the last reported victim was added to the list, a 27-year-old Nathaniel uh, Cater. Now, he was last seen by by a gardener by the name of Robert Henry at the entrance of the Rialto Theater in Atlanta, and he was reportedly holding hands with Wayne Williams, and his body was discovered just hours later. Now, and the investigator, Chet Dillinger, he created a map of the victims' locations. And despite the difference in ages, the victims all fell within the same geographic perimeter, so in the same area. And they were connected by Memorial Drive and 11 major streets in the area. Now... During these murders, there were more than 100 agents that were working on this investigation. The city of Atlanta imposed curfews and parents in the city removed their children from school and they forbade them from playing outside. It was bad. And if you remember this, then you probably, especially if you're in Atlanta, you remember this. But as the media coverage of the killings intensified, the FBI predicted that the killer might dump the next victim into a body of water to conceal any type of evidence. And so police, what they did was they staked out nearly a dozen area of bridges, including crossings at rivers. Um, and then they got their first major break. This was around May 22nd, 1981. And this is probably 
where because we got our last reported victim who was the 27 year old Nathaniel Carter that was during that was near the end of May of 1981 but during the stakeout on this day detectives got this break because an officer heard a splash beneath a bridge and another saw a white 1970 Chevrolet station wagon turn around and drive back across this bridge, right? So the two police cars later stopped the suspect in that station wagon about a half mile from the bridge and the driver was 23-year-old Wayne Bertram Williams. And he was supposed to be this music promoter and freelance photographer, right? Now, mind you, this last victim was seen with Wayne Williams. So the Chevrolet wagon belonged to his parents. And dog hairs and fibers recovered from the rear of the vehicle were later used as evidence in the case against him. As those similar fibers were found on some of the victims. Um, They were found to match his dog and the carpet in his parents' house. Okay? So during questioning, Williams said that he was on his way to an audition with a woman by the name of Cheryl Johnson, because, you know, she's a singer. And he claimed that she lived in the nearby town of um, Smyrna, but police did not find any record of her or anything about the appointment. So this motherfucker was lying, basically. But two days later, on May 24th, the nude body of Nathaniel Cater, 27, was found floating down river a few miles from the bridge where the police had seen the suspicious station wagon. So based on this evidence, of course, and including police officers hearing of the splash, police believe that Williams had killed uh, Cater and disposed of his body while the police were nearby. How bold was that, y'all? How bold was that? Okay. So now we have the investigators who stopped Williams on that bridge and uh, they noticed gloves and a 24-inch nylon cord sitting in the passenger seat. Mm. So according to investigators, the cord looked very similar to ligature marks found on Cater and other victims, but the cord was never taken into evidence for analysis. Oh, how can we flub this, y'all? Why did we flub this? Mm. But anyway, so adding to a growing list of suspicious circumstances, Williams had handed out flyers in the predominantly black neighborhoods calling for young people ages between 11 and 21 to audition for his new singing group that he called Gemini. You know, under the guise, how many times have we heard this? Under the guise of trying to get people into uh, singing or rapping or some type of artistic mode do people come up dead because of that sinister how many times have you heard of people taking suspicious pictures of children you know um under the disguise of oh i can put your portfolio together but they're just feeding their own little nasty ass fetishes (sighs) but anyway um So he was trying to put together this so-called group called Gemini, right? But guess what? He failed the FBI-administered polygraph um, test. And his results were not admissible as evidence, apparently, in the criminal courts. 
unfortunately, but we know what's up, right? But anyway, like I said, fibers from the carpet in his residence were found to match those observed on two of the victims and additional fibers from his home vehicles and his pet dog, his dog, were later matched to fibers discovered on other victims. So, uh, furthermore, don't forget about that witness, um, Robert Henry, because he claimed to have seen Williams holding hands and walking with Nathaniel Cater on the night of Cater's death. Okay, so we got a witness linking him to Nathaniel, and we got all that, you know, circumstantial evidence, because how did your family's fibers from your family dog and house and carpet get on these victims you had to be in some type of proximity with them but anyway so on june 21st 1981 oh boy was arrested williams was arrested wayne williams was arrested and the grand jury indicted him for first degree murder in the deaths of nathaniel cater and jimmy ray Payne, who was 22 and then the trial date was set for sometime in 1982 but when the news of Williams' arrest was officially uh, released because his status as a suspect had been previously leaked to media, you know how that go. You know how stuff go. I'm going to put quotes around the word leaked. Um, FBI agent uh, John E. Douglas stated that if it was Williams, that he was looking pretty good for a good percentage of the killings, right? Because Douglas had previously conducted an interview with People Magazine about profiling the killer as a young black man. So he knew something was up, right? And this was widely reported as the FBI effectively declaring Williams guilty. And Douglas was officially censured by the director of the FBI. Because, you know, everybody has a right. Innocent until proven guilty. But um, sometime around December 28th of 1981, jury selection had begun, and that lasted about six days. They had The jury panel had nine women and three men, and uh, among those juries, eight were African Americans and four were Caucasians. So then the trial officially began January 6th, 1981. Now... We're, this is January 6, 1981. And all this time, we haven't had any new victims. No new victims, right? Um, so Judge Clarence Cooper had presided over this trial. And so the most important evidence against Williams, and I think that should not be circumstantial. That's my personal opinion. Because you can't tell me you know either you was in contact with some people because how did those fibers get on these victims but anyway the important evidence against him was the fiber analysis between the victims who he um was indicted for murdering um jimmy ray Payne and nathaniel cater and then the 12-month pattern of murder cases in which substantial uh, circumstantial evidence accumulated and numerous links between the crimes um, this evidence included witnesses who had testified that they had seen Williams with the victims, and some witnesses suggested that he had solicited sexual favors. This is some nasty shit, y'all. This is some nasty shit. Anyway, so the prosecution's presentation of the case, well, that had been criticized uh, to the extent in some jurisdictions that it may have resulted almost 
in a mistrial, but in particular, two separate FBI special agents, they testified that the chances of the victims not having come in contact with Williams was virtually impossible based solely on the comparative rarity of the fibers which were found on the victims which seemed to match the fibers which were found in the suspect's home and in his car, y'all. Boom. Okay, boom. After so after reviewing the case, the you know, the Georgia Supreme Court, they deemed the evidence and lack of thereof inadmissible. What? Like what? What is going on? But it don't matter because that's on February 27th, 1982, after 11 hours of deliberation, the jury found Wayne Williams guilty of two of the murders, too. But he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in Georgia's state prison. Boom. Oh, boy. That, you know, after you read the list of victims and how stuff just kind of just popped up. Whew. I don't know. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting. But in May of 2004, about six months after becoming um, the police chief of DeKalb County, in November 2003, Lewis Graham, he reopened the investigations into the deaths of five of the victims, 10-year-old Aaron, 13-year-old Curtis Walker, 9-year-old Yusef, 17-year-old William Barrett, 11-year-old Patrick, and Graham was one of the original investigators in the cases, um, and that he doubted that Wayne Williams, the man convicted of the two killings and blamed for 22 others, was guilty of all of them. So, what was Lewis Graham after? But, on June 21st, 2006, uh, they eventually, they just dropped that reinvestigation of these murders. And Graham resigned, and he was replaced by uh, somebody else who said, we dredged up what we had, and nothing was pan- and nothing panned out. So until something does or additional evidence comes our way or there's forensic feedback from existing evidence, we will continue to pursue other cold cases that are within our reach. So... I just think that it's been all these years and no other child or adult or male or young girl has come up missing from that's connected to this. Um, so anyway, fast forward to January 29, 2007. Attorneys for the state of Georgia agreed to allow DNA testing of the dog hair that was used to help convict Williams. This decision was a response to a legal filing as a part of Williams' effort to appeal his conviction and his life sentences. Williams' lawyer uh, asked the uh, Fulton County Superior Court judge to allow DNA test on a canine in human hair and blood, stating that the results might help Williams win a new trial. 
But on June 26, 2007, the DNA test results showed that the hairs on the bodies contained the same DNA sequence as Williams' dog, a sequence that occurs in only about one out of 100 dogs. And then uh, the director of the UC Davis, or the University of California Davis Laboratory that carried out the testing, they told the Associated Press that while the results were fairly significant, they don't conclusively point to Williams' dog as the source of the hair because the lab was able to test only for a certain type of DNA, which unlike nuclear DNA, cannot be shown to, to, to be unique to one dog. That's why this evidence is circumstantial, right? But in later in 2007, the FBI performed DNA tests on two human hairs found on one of the victims. And that was done also with a mitochondrial DNA sequence in the hairs. And that eliminated about 99.5% of persons by not matching their DNA. So this particular sequence in the hairs would eliminate 98% of African-American persons by not matching their DNA. However, they match Williams's DNA, so did not eliminate the possibility that the hairs were his. <laughs> so there's that. And then um, last year, March of 20, uh, March 21st, 2019, the Atlanta mayor, um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, and then the Atlanta police, uh, Chief Erica Shields, girl power, announced that officials would retest evidence from the murders, which will be uh, gathered by the Atlanta Police Department, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And in this news conference, the mayor said, it may be there is nothing left to be tested, but I do think history will judge us by our actions and we will be able to say we tried. Yes, so as you can see, out of what 24 or something odd cases, only two got a conviction and the other 22 are cold cases, um, but they are believed to be committed by Wayne Williams. Now, as of this date, oh boy, he continues to maintain his innocence. He still believes he's innocent. But what do you think? Is Wayne Williams as innocent as he says he is? Or is that motherfucker guilty as hell because we got fibers, yo? Whew. That was such a mm, painful, painful, painful time in our nation's history. But that is my thought and ramble for the week. All right, you all. I haven't decided if I'm going to do a thought and ramble for next week because next Friday is Christmas. We'll see. I guess I'll think about it. But anyway, if I don't, have a happy holiday. Merry Christmas. And if I do, have a happy holiday and Merry Christmas. And I am out.